Hebrews chapter 12. As we enter Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, we're beginning to see the writer's concluding remarks. This has been a wonderful letter. It's a long letter. How many of you have ever written a letter this long, right? We are beginning to see the writer's concluding remarks in this letter, and we're going to discover that the main idea here is one of endurance. Endurance in the Christian life. God wants us to know, He wants us to know that to have endurance in the Christian life will require that we live by faith. And he made that clear in chapter 11 as the writer, inspired by God, moved by God, gave all those wonderful examples of those who have gone before us who lived by faith. And last week we noted in the closing verses of chapter 11 that the writer wanted the original recipients of this letter to understand that faith in God means believing that God does the impossible. And faith means believing that God helps you endure the impossible. So our faith is built on the fact that God does things that, humanly speaking, we might believe are impossible. We might look at them and say, there is no way this can be for my good. There is no way that this is going to come out well. And God's Word says not so. God does the impossible. And to live by faith means to look to God when things look impossible. And to endure those impossible situations, God helps us by faith in Him to endure those impossible situations, those impossible heartaches and difficulties that seem impossible to bear. God says, I am here to help you bear them. In fact, and we're going to see this today, I am here to make you better through them. And with that hall of faith from chapter 11, fresh in our minds, the writer says, therefore, you see it right there at the beginning of verse 1 in chapter 12, therefore, he's looking back, therefore, this is how you should live the Christian life by faith. So chapter 12 is a description of what it will take to live the Christian life, a life of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a life of enduring faith. So let's look at the first 11 verses of chapter 12 together and follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves 
and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What will it take to live the Christian life? A life of faith in the One who is better than all, the Lord Jesus Christ. A life of enduring faith. What will it take? First, we hear a word of encouragement in verses 1 through 3, and I want you to go back and look at verses 1 through 3 with me again. This is a word of encouragement, and this Just think of this, if this life of faith in Christ were without difficulty, if this life of walking by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is better than all, were without difficulty, were without hardship, were without any trials, were without any griefs and sorrows, then we would not need this encouragement. But just as those that we saw in Hebrews chapter 11 faced hardship and trials and difficulties, and some of them were severe to the extreme. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, this afternoon go back and read chapter 11. Because some of the things God's people faced and endured with faith were extreme. And extremely difficult, extremely hard. But that's why we need to hear these words of encouragement as we think about what we learn from those who lived by faith, whom we saw in chapter 11, who have gone before us living by faith. We need these words of encouragement in verses 1-3 through because we do, we are facing hardship and difficulties and we will face them as we live on this earth, especially if we determine by faith in God, to live for God's glory, to be obedient to God's Word, you will face. You will face opposition and difficulty. First, we're going to need to be, if we're going to be ready, if we're going to live by faith, if we're going to have an enduring faith, first we need to be laying aside sin. So with the example of the scores of saints before us, and that's the idea in the phrase, this great cloud of witnesses. With the example of the scores of faith, the faith of saints before us, with a multitude of saints who've gone before us, setting an example of living by faith under great trials and difficulties, we also are to, look at it, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, how 
I come to the text and I, I ask questions. When I look at the text, I ask questions. And a question that I ask is, how are we to lay aside every weight and sin if it clings so closely? If the weight of sin and weight of difficulty clings so closely to us and the temptation to lose heart clings so closely and the temptation to sin clings so closely and those things that tempt us to sin and distrust God cling so closely, how? How are we to lay them aside? Can we live a life of enduring faith by merely looking back to the saints who've gone before us and set an example for us? Is that what God intends? Even an incredible example of faith? Enduring faith? Are we just to look back to the saints and say, well, they did it, I must be able to do it too? That is not what the writer is saying here. That is not the message that God is communicating to us here. No, that's not it. And that's not how we'll endure in our faith to the end of our lives. Yes, we are to follow their example. And they are intended for our encouragement and to be a help to us. But the writer of Hebrews wants us to see in Christ that faith in Christ and keeping our faith in Christ, keeping our hope in Christ, keeping our eyes fixed on the One who is greater than all. That by putting your faith in Christ and keeping it there, this is how we are to shed the burdens of sin. This is how we are to put off the things that cling so closely and those sins that would hinder us if we give in to the temptation to sin. The writer wants us to see that we've got to look to Jesus. In fact, that's what Hebrews is all about. The whole book of Hebrews is is a reminder to us, do not take your eyes off of Christ as you live this life. So he shows us just this in verse 2, that to have an enduring faith, we've got to be, secondly, looking to Jesus. We've got to be looking to Jesus. We've got to be laying sin aside, but we also need to be looking to Jesus. Why look to Jesus for all the strength and wisdom, though, that we need to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely? Why is it you keep saying we need to look to Jesus, Pastor? Why keep looking to Jesus? Because I know what God's Word says here, and you do too if you're looking at verse 2, because we're told here in verse 2, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Imagine that. Incredible to me. How much heartache and difficulty is wrapped up in that verse, and yet it starts out by saying, for the joy that was set before Him, Jesus Christ knew that obedience to God the Father brings joy. Obedience to God's commands and God's instruction brings joy. Jesus obeyed the Father by going to the cross. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. We're to look to Jesus because He endured the punishment that we deserve who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to know how to live the Christian life, a life of enduring faith? You've got to look to Jesus. And as the writer shows us in verse 3, you've got to consider Him who endured for sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Yes, we need the example of the saints who have gone before us, but we had better keep our eyes on Christ. 
so that we don't grow weary, so that we don't grow faint-hearted. And the point here in these first three verses, these words of encouragement is that if you want to live a life of faith and not grow weary or faint-hearted, if you want a faith that endures, then you have got to look to the One who is better than all, who has taken your place and has endured to the end for you. Jesus was there first, and He endured to the end for you. You've got to look to and consider the One who went ahead of you, who was crucified for you before you. He came before you, and He lived in such a way that was sinless so that He would be ready to obey the Father's command to, to obey the Father's will. He went before us. He endured the suffering. He endured the shame. He endured the humiliation of the crucifixion, taking the punishment for your sins, for my sins. And so we must look to Jesus if we want to have a faith that endures. We look to His finished work. But not only are we going to need to lay aside sin as we're looking to Jesus, but to live a life of enduring faith, we're going to need to be living under the Lord's discipline. That is, accepting the Lord's discipline. And that's what we're going to see in verses 4-11. through 11. We need to understand that the Lord's discipline is a good thing. Even when it feels like a bad thing. And so we need to learn to live under the Lord's discipline. We need to learn to accept it. We need to learn to receive it. We even need to learn to thank the Lord for His discipline in our lives because He intends not our harm, but our good. The Lord's discipline is meant to shape and strengthen us in our faith. The Lord's discipline is meant to help us lay aside sin. Do you understand that? If, if we're going to lay aside those things that hinder us from living a bold faith, if we're going to lay aside sin, we need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ who whether we understand this or not, graciously brings discipline into our lives so that we might learn how to say no to sin, so that we might become more like Him. We need to learn to accept, receive, and even thank the Lord for His discipline in our lives because He intends to help us, not harm us. The Lord's discipline is for our good to shape and strengthen our faith to help us to say no to sin, to lay aside sin. The Lord's discipline is intended to help us kill sin in our lives. So let's note the characteristics of an enduring faith that were shown by the writer in the following verses as they show us why and how we ought to live under the Lord's discipline. And we squirm at this idea of discipline, don't we? Boy, this doesn't sound like fun. This doesn't sound easy. It is not. This is a hard truth. 
but is a necessary truth. Let's note the characteristics of an enduring faith that were shown by the writer here so that we know how we ought to live under the Lord's discipline, how we ought to accept the Lord's discipline. First of all, a faith that endures understands that things are not as bad as they seem. Things are never as bad as they seem when God is in control. When there is no God higher than our God. Things are never as bad as they seem. Note it in verse 4. It was true of the believers the writer was first addressing, and it is true for us now. In our fight against sin, in our own lives, we have not suffered as Jesus has. We have not shed blood yet. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's, it's like the writer is saying, you think you have it bad? And I'm not sure this is the kind of encouragement that a friend might come to us for, but the writer gives us this kind of, you, you, you're looking and going, this is encouragement? You haven't shed your blood yet? But this is how God intends for us to, to see what Jesus Christ endured for us and understand that things are never as bad as they seem when we have a Savior to look to. So suck it up, buddy. <laughs> it's like the writer saying, suck it up. Look to Jesus. He suffered. He bled for you so that you could look to Him as you live the Christian life and have an enduring faith that doesn't grow weary or faint-hearted. Now please don't hear me suggesting that God doesn't care that you're suffering. It burdens Him deeply that you suffer. But He has given you an answer. He says, look to Jesus. Depend upon Him. Trust in Him. Believe in My promises. Take believing steps of obedience. And trust Me as you deal with this heartache and this difficulty and this suffering. And this is really hard. I understand that. And you likely do too. But Jesus has this. Because Jesus has shed His blood. Jesus has suffered the weight of not just your sins as an individual, but the weight of sinners receiving the punishment that we deserve. He suffered and bled for you so that you could look to Him and endure with faith that doesn't grow weary or faint-hearted. Another characteristic of an enduring faith is seen in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. A faith that endures remembers that you are God's child. That's an, another characteristic of an enduring faith. A faith that endures remembers that you are God's child. And God cares for His children. Does He not? God does care for His children. Don't forget, as you learn to live under the Lord's discipline, that you are His child. You are a son, says God's Word. If you have trusted in Christ, each and every believer in this room is a son of God. And that is a precious truth. Look at verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. There is proof, there is evidence there in these words that God does not intend to harm us. He intends His discipline to be for our good. So do not forget. A faith that endures remembers that you are God's child. You are adopted into God's family. I love, I love when I see families adopt. It is an incredible picture of what God does in our lives through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm looking at my Son who paid for your sins. You are now mine. Through faith in Jesus, I make you my Son. How precious. Do not forget, as you learn to live under the Lord's discipline, that you are His child. You are a son. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? When you face a difficulty, when you face challenges to your faith, maybe they come from within your own family, and those sometimes are the hardest to bear. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do you see, do you understand that the hardship, that the difficulty, that the challenge that you perceive as something very terrible and negative and something you all had gone yesterday is actually something God is using to shape you in the likeness of His obedient son? Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord and don't be weary when reproved by Him. In your fight against sin, in your walk of faith as you deal with hardship and difficulty and even find yourself suffering for the cause of Christ, remember that you are God's child. And no one and nothing can take you out of His hand. And then a third characteristic of an enduring faith is seen in verse 6. A faith that endures, remembers that you are loved by God. Look at verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves. You see, a faith that endures looks to the promises of God to be reminded you remember that you are loved by God. Verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. This can be a hard truth, but it is a blessed truth. Our Father, the Lord, does not neglect His children. Parents, Think about this. You you know, don't you, that your children need discipline and instruction. And that if you neglect this and instead give them everything they want. Sorry, kids. (laughs) But if your parents give you everything you want and remove every pain and difficulty from your life, they in fact aren't loving you as God's Word commands them to. In fact, they are neglecting you. And so... Parents, you understand, your, parent, your children need discipline and instruction. And sometimes that means your children will say, that's painful, I don't like that, in so many words. 
Or maybe you'll just see it in their eyes. Or you'll see it in their attitude. And how often we are like that before God. I don't like this, God. I am not happy here. And you can get rid of this like yesterday, please. What did I do to deserve this? How have I failed that you would treat me so? We do that, don't we? We think those kinds of things. And in our eyes, God can see that we're saying, why me? In our attitudes, God knows we're saying, please stop. But the fact is that if God were to withhold proper and necessary discipline, would be evidence that we are not His. The fact is, God is a perfect parent. You realize that? You do not have perfect earthly parents. Sorry, guys. You do not have earthly parents. My boys know this. I'm thankful that they are very gracious toward me and my faults. And I find myself having to apologize from time to time. Your children know, parents, that you are not perfect. And kids, if you didn't know, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Young people, you didn't know your parents were perfect. You're, you're going to figure it out. But get this, God is perfect. He is a perfect parent. He, he never gets it wrong. Can, can you agree with me that we get it wrong as parents? My word, I, I, I grieve over the things that I've done wrong as a parent, that I, that I have missed, that I've failed to do, or that I have done wrong. I think, oh, how did I not see that that was not right? Or that was the wrong way to do that? Or those were the wrong words to say at the wrong time? But get this. God, as the perfect parent, can redeem my stupidity. How good is that? I am so thankful. I'm not saying that this is a license to be stupid, okay? (laughs) But God is bigger than my ignorance. God is bigger than my failures as a parent and your failures as a parent. God is the perfect parent and He does not withhold discipline from the lives of His children because they find it uncomfortable or difficult. And you can thank Him for discipline because it is a reminder that He loves you deeply. In fact, the remaining verses here from verse 7 through verse 11 help us understand this more fully. The writer explains God's intent here from verses 7 through 11. In fact, it is God's intent to grow our faith so that we might find our faith endures to the end, just as Jesus endured to the end of suffering for our sins. So again, in verse 7, we have this reminder that God is treating us as sons. And God's purpose as He treats us as sons is to increase our endurance. So God's Word says here, it is for discipline that you have to endure. 
You need endurance. So God gives discipline is the idea. You need endurance. You need to endure by faith. And so God brings discipline to help you. God is not about breaking us, but He is about building us for endurance. As it says in verse 10, but He disciplines us for our good. Why? Keep looking at it. Verse 10, that we may share His holiness. That is a a precious, a precious truth. That is so sweet. Think of that. What a precious truth that God sees fit to share His holiness with His children. God does not keep His holiness to Himself. He wants to share it with us, but we must trust Him as He shapes and makes us and fashions us into the likeness of His Son who is better than all. And God the Son, who is better than all, remember, don't ever forget, He faithfully endured that we might be forgiven our sins. That we might know Him personally. That we might have a relationship with Him, our Savior, our Lord. He is our Lord. He is our Master. He is our King. And what a mighty Savior and Lord and Master and King He is. And we especially need to remember that while He is shaping us. You ever see the, I think it's called the Woodwright Workshop? PBS. Every once in a while I stop and glance and it's like, that is incredible what that guy can do with wood. This, this uh, last week I saw an episode just briefly where, where he was with a, I don't know what you'd call him, a, um, a metal worker. An ironsmith, or maybe he's called a smith. You can educate me afterwards. But he was making a tool for the woodwright. Incredible. Take a slab of iron and heat it and take it out and hammer it and shape it and turn it and hammer it. Put it back in the fire and heat it till it's blazing red and take it out and hammer it and turn it and shape it. An incredible He was making a chisel for the woodwright and he took a harder piece of steel and even put it into the end of this tool and hammered it in place and heated it into place so that it would stay there so that you you almost couldn't tell that there were two pieces of metal that had been formed into one big piece of steel that was a very special tool for the woodwright. But it took a lot of heat and a lot of hammering and a lot of working and a lot of turning and a lot of heat and a lot of hammering. And along those lines, we see this in verse 11. We think, what good could God's hammering in my life, could God putting me in the fire in my life, what good could God be doing? What what good could God be bringing Along those lines, we see this in verse 11, that God disciplines us so that it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
I would suggest today that we need to grasp this truth and take this very personally and very seriously. That if we want to know what peace is in this life, if we want to know what joy is in this life, it's not in the pursuit of more. It's not in the pursuit of of more accomplishments or more things or more relationships. It's not. It's submitting yourself to God's work, to God's discipline as He shapes you so that you might have in your life a bountiful yield of the peaceful fruit of righteousness as you're trained by His discipline. You see, God's discipline is intended to train us to grow our Christ-likeness. It is intended to grow our righteousness so that our light might shine before others, before men in this world, that, that unbelievers might see that God is shaping us and that we are changing, that we are not perfect. You understand that this world does not need to see a bunch of holier-than-thou perfect Christians living in this community. They need to see real believers who are fighting sin, whom God is shaping with the anvil of truth. And we need to be willing to submit to that because He is about our good. He is about shaping us and bringing a, a wonderful fruit. This, this wonderful, peaceful fruit of righteousness. It is intended to grow our righteousness. And yes, for the moment, for the moment. How about that? Do you see that? For the moment. <laughs> yes, for the moment. We can, can we see that this, this God discipline in our lives is just for a moment? It doesn't feel like a moment, does it? I can tell you about things that, that I've grieved over and am grieving over that don't feel like they're just for a moment. But yet, in light of eternity, we need to understand that this is just for a moment. This is just a blink in time. And yes, for the moment, can we see that God's discipline is just for the moment in comparison with all eternity? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And that is why we need to learn to live by faith and not by sight or by feelings. And if we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we will live. We will live. We will know His joy. We will know His peace. His peace that passes all understanding. His peace that blows us away. It's like, how is this even possible in the midst of this heartache and turmoil and difficulty that I have peace even as I shed tears? Because I'm trusting in the One who is mightier than all. If we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we will live. And we will know real life in Christ. And we will have lasting faith. A living faith. A faith in the One who is better and greater than all. A faith that will endure until the Lord returns or calls us home. That's what God is calling us to. To endure to the end. With an enduring faith. And may our prayer be that God would grow and strengthen our faith and that we would be ready to receive the Lord's discipline as He seeks to grow our faith in Him.
John Newton in 1779 penned this poem, and it's actually a hymn that expressed his heart as he prayed for the Lord to grow and mature his faith. And as he expresses in this poem, it's incredible. And you will likely be able to identify with this. God doesn't use the ways that we think he will. As he prayed for the Lord to grow and mature his faith, as we think about these words, may we be encouraged by his prayer, by this poem, by this hymn, that we might truly desire to be shaped by God in a way that's pleasing to him, that we might submit to his shaping, to his discipline. May we be encouraged by his prayer and desire to trust God as as God disciplines us as his sons, that we might have faith that endures to the end. He wrote these words. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he I trust has answered prayer. But it has been. In such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, At once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sin and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more. With his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I, trembling, cried. Wilt thou pursue thine worm to death? "'Tis in this way,' the Lord replied. "'I answer prayer for grace and faith.'" These inward trials I employ, from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me.